Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Alrighty, so welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. On this episode, we have an entrepreneur, a legend in the business, someone who has always been a super creative, label owner, producer, hip-hop icon, Mr. Irv Gotti. What's up, Irv? Great intro. What's up? What's up, Come Cole? on, man. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I was preparing to talk to you today. I went back and listened to Cash Money Click. Mike Geronimo yeah. interviews from back in the day. I was like, me and this dude go back for 30 years. Hey, yeah, long time. Yo. Long time for sure. So anyway, one of the things that's interesting about you, Irv, is that you're from Hollis, Queens. And what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, they say hip hop started in the Bronx, but it was Hollis, Queens that really exploded the genre globally with Run DMC. And you grew up in Hollis. And just talk a little bit about, you know, you had a, a lot of brothers and sisters in a house. You lived in the hood. And all of a sudden, your hood becomes the center of hip hop. And how did that really energize you and get you engaged into this game? My brothers and sisters and where I grew up had a big influence, but my family wasn't into hip hop. So growing up where I came from, you know, Run DMC exploded. Big, big impression on me. So you see this happening and then you obviously start DJing. Talk a little bit about dj irv in that time and what was that like because you were just a kid and you just got in the game with all these adults in hip-hop i mean i just fell in love with hip-hop it was around 83 84 the record suck mcs came out and i would just mix that record in for hours upon hours and that's where the love grew right on the birth of hip-hop like that you know i got myself two turntables and i just went went for it yo you got this dream of being in hip-hop, but you also, you had LL Cool J down the street. You had Tribe Called Quest. In fact, I saw Q-Tip was talking about growing up where he grew up in Queens and saying how you were you were DJ Irv was down the street. You had all this hip-hop energy going. And how did you parlay that into wanting to get more involved in, in music? Like, like, just really be more formally involved in the music game. Well, Russell Simmons was an inspiration because he owned the record label. So that was my first inspiration to seeing him do it and believing that I could do it. So I always wanted to do what I and eventually did, which was own a record label and be successful. Watching him do it inspired me to do it. So then you get with Jazz O and Jay-Z. And you go to London yeah. to help record his album. What was that like? Like you would that was your first time out the country? Yeah, that was my first time. I was, I was 17 years old, and he asked me to come down to be the DJ and do the DJ cuts. But what eventually really happened was they didn't need me until the end. So for like a month, me and Jay, we had nothing to do. So that's the bond that grew with me and Jay. We was running around London having a ball. I didn't see you in the Hawaii Sophie's. So you weren't in any, were you in any of Jazzo's videos at that time? No, I wasn't in the video, but I knew them and was fucking with them, but I just wasn't in the videos. Yeah. Then yeah. you start to work on your own and start connecting with 
local artists or artists in Queen. It was really a Queens thing because then you, you you had Mike Geronimo, you had a bunch of other artists. Talk a little bit about that transition to producer slash label person just getting started and how you got your foot in the game. The natural evolution from DJ to produce Mike Geronimo, got a production deal, did Cash Money Click. I knew Jay before everybody, so I was always working with Jay. I knew X, actually, second after Jay was working with X and Rough Riders. And then when I got to Def Jam with Leo, it's like it all came together with Jay, with X, with Ja, with everybody. When it came together, I was smart enough to give me my own label and and just grew my record label from there and so forth. One of the things a lot of people don't know is that you actually produced a track on Reasonable Doubt. So what was that like in that moment that's such a big, iconic album that came out and you had a track on that? Like, how did that change for you? I mean, you know, when we did Can I Live for Reasonable Doubt, we was just in the moment. It was just a bunch of young, hungry niggas that wanted to win. So we didn't know, like, I didn't know, like, sitting here now what it was going to end up being and immortal shit, but it was just a bunch of young, hungry niggas wanting to win. And Can I Live was a record that I produced for Jay that I felt coincided with his persona. And I wanted him to speak to that persona on the record, which he did flawlessly. And a lot of people's Can I Live is one of their favorite records of Jay-Z's. Yeah, Can I Live is like a movie, especially the way you you set the intro of it up. It just felt like it was the beginning of a... It was cinematic, the way that that song came about. It's funny that you say that, because that's exactly what we wanted to do. We set out to, to set the tone for Rockefeller and make like the beginning of that story, the beginning of the Rockefeller movement. You know what I'm saying? So to hear you say that, did our thing. Well, also, one of the earlier records you produced, Shit's Real, for Mike Geronimo, which was one of the better records that the guy had. Again, yeah. there was this thing about the Irv. Now, now that I look back at it, like, and I didn't know, but this, the, yeah. but you you have this thing with sound and making a song. Because I'm a Queens nigga. Because <laughs> I give that to where I'm from. I'm a Queens nigga. What, yeah. what you don't know about Queens is, Queens, we, we, we gangster, but we R&B niggas. Like, we like listening to R&B. Right. Kenny Burke, Rising to the Top is our favorite record. Blend tapes. We had our share. Of, uh, like, we different. Yeah, That's why Queens, That's it, it comes out in my music. From Denise Williams, God damn it. It's just in me. Because that's it's, it's in Queens, niggas. You had done the Fool's Paradise remix for Jay-Z. Yeah, that's that's that, Queens shit. Yeah, that, that was, that's, that right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that was fire right there, for sure. So then, yeah, yeah, because of your relationship with Jay, he had already had his success, and then you starting up Murder, Inc. and Irv being your first artist. How did you parlay that Can I Get a and that soundtrack? That All of that came together in such a massive moment, and that song Can I Get a, which you produced, uh, yeah. with your artist on it, ends up really becoming a massive hit off of uh, that third Jay-Z album. And the uh, Rush Hour soundtrack. It yep. sold Jay's album and it sold the Rush Hour soundtrack. Yep. But the story of Can I Get is just, I, I was making Ja's album and I wanted to make a record like Fuck Bitches, Get Money. But with at the time, the, the bouncy records was things. So I made the crafted to be with Little Rob with that bouncy shit. And Ja wrote the hook. 
Can I get a fuck you to these bitches? Come on, my niggas, we don't got love. Can I get a woo to these? You know what I'm saying? Right. And Ja just killed it. And then when Jay heard it, Jay was like, yo, let me get that. And we put Ja on it and do your vision. And that's what we did. And the crazy thing with that record is it, it, it stayed on the charts for like a year, which is fucking really weird. Yeah. It crushed all formats. It crushed urban. It crushed uh, rhythmic. And it crushed top 40. And it just wouldn't, wouldn't go nowhere. That's probably one of the biggest singles that Jay-Z has ever been a part of. A hundred percent. That shit would, it would not go nowhere, yo. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, so your A&R at Def Jam, what was that like? I mean, you talked about growing up in Queens and then Russell Simmons being an inspiration. But now here you are. You're an A&R at the legendary Def Jam Records. What did that feel like when you walked in the door? I mean... The first day I started working at Def Jam, I tried to sign DMX, and they laughed at me. It was like, he's barking, Gotti. Come on, stop. You serious? And after, like, say, a month of me trying to sign DMX and then not letting me sign DMX, I quit. I left Def Jam. Like, a week later, Leo called me, and I'm like, yo, I thought Def Jam was live. You niggas is corny, yo. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, yo, I ain't doing what the fuck I want to do. He said, what you want to do? I said, I, what the fuck? I want to sign DMX. He said, just come come back. Come back to the office. I went back to the office. He called Tina Davis and James Jones, who was my bosses at the A&R department. And he said, yo, y'all don't fuck with Gotti no more. He's to answer to me and Kevin Lyles. Wow. Yeah. See, basically, when he did that, he let the, the savage out the cage. And and was it true that you weren't really making a lot of money when you got into that job? Like you you weren't what? you were making what? all these millions all for these, everybody. What sixty k sixty grand? Nigga didn't give me a bonus, nothing. I probably generated real talk for like four hundred million in one year, and then they so, didn't so, give me a bonus or not. But I did get my record label. I did get got the it. ring. Yeah. So when you had generated all that success, you didn't naturally go to Def Jam. You actually were being people recording you from other labels, right? Well, I, I'm not claiming to be smart. Kobe, I was just laying it down and in the moment. And then next thing you know, I get a call from Dave McPherson at Sony and he offers me a label deal. That's how I got my label deal. And then Tommy Matola, his boss, was like, I want you over here with me. You're a genius. And that's what kind of forced Leo, Edgar Brofman, and Doug Morris to give me my label deal. He wasn't just giving it to me. Right. It, it, despite the fact that you had generated, you saved the label. Hundreds. Yeah. I saved the label, saved yeah. him, saved Russell, and made them hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we we all remember that was a very tentative time, and then DMX came out of nowhere. And then dropping two albums in one year, two massive That's albums Leo. in one year. That's Leo. This dark and hell is high, so on his way to five, six million. And this nigga's like, I need you. Can I get you another? Because he wanted that billing. Right, right. Because the truth be told, Leo and Russell was getting fired. They had a $30 million deficit, and Polygram at the time 
in their contract, they could have took Def Jam from him and fired them. So that's why he was like, give me another DMX album because he needed that billing. Yeah. So we make the DMX album, me and Swiss, like we made that record in like a week. Wow. And yeah, you know, he comes out December 22nd. We ship like two, three million. He sold like 800,000 or something the first week. Wow. So then, then what happens, the Universal Music Group gets formed. And Leo, who was about to get fired, the people that was going to fire him, Alon Levy and Roger Ames, they get fired. The Universal Music Group was formed and Leo is the boss of Island Def Jam. A, a complete reversal of fortune. Did you ever feel like Leo gave you the respect and the props after? No. Okay. No. I, I'm, I mean, I'm wondering because I'm like, it feels like nothing ever happened. Like you kept generating no. revenue and then you weren't getting... The love no, that you probably Leo Cohen is is blunt with it. When you hear him talk, he says, if it was up to me, I would have nothing. But he's like, God, he took it. With everything, he took it. I wasn't giving him shit. I right. took it. Right. right. If it was up to Leo to give me something, I'd be broke. So you start your, your label, Murder, Inc., and Ja Rule is, is your first artist. What was it about Ja that you saw all the way back from Cash Money Click, that you believed that he was going to be that next piece to take it? He was just enormously talented. He had this voice, and he just had the drive and wanted to win. And he was enormously talented. Every time I went in the studio with him, and I would say, yo, do this or do that. Yo, make it like this. Anything that I asked him to do, he executed flawlessly. Flawlessly. So I knew the same feeling I had with JNX, I had with Ja. And then obviously J and X at that time were like the big dogs at the label and Ja basically comes out of nowhere and just blows them out the box. A lot of people don't know that, that Ja yeah, Rule... But they, they help with those uh, Murder Gram record, the It's Murder record. Yep. They help with the, the double XL cover. So I don't want to discredit J or X. They helped Ja enormously. You know, when that cover came out, J and X is the biggest niggas in the game and here's this new nigga with them. Like, right. They basically said, yeah, he's with us. So I can't discredit what JNX did for Ja. No, and no one's discredited that, but but Ja Rule ended up delivering like huge numbers at that time. Like he was he was outselling them. Yeah. He was he, out, yeah. he, out, he outsold them. You know, they was all moving three, four million, but Ja Ja did. He he outsold them. With the second and third album with three three six and Pain is Love, he outsold them. Yeah. So uh, then, then we get into this phase of you really stepping up and and getting you know big artists. I mean, so you you took this formula that you had and started uh, applying it to other artists and doing remixes. They, they always calling me Kobe, like when Ja and Ashanti took off and that sound was like cemented, like this is the sound. You know, they all call me. Tommy called me for J Lo. They call me for Mary. They call me for Mariah. They call me for. You know, Fat Joe, they called me for everybody. They just was calling me because they wanted that sound. And I delivered. All of those people I named, I gave them big, massive records. Yeah. Well, and, and somebody like J-Lo, there wasn't a lot going on with her. Like, you kind of brought her... She was making, like, dance records, and then you bring her into that sort of that hip-hop energy, and then yeah. she builds off of that for a couple of years. It's crazy. It's crazy because when Tommy called me to work with J-Lo, I was so hot. I said, yo, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. And he said, I don't care. He said, just make it. I want John to record and make it a duet because we had did a duet with Mariah. So really, Tommy Mottola's inspiration for the J-Lo records was just to fuck over Mariah. Right. 
Yeah. Little did he know I was delivering catastrophic joints with J-Lo and Ja. And, and then, you know, you have Ashanti with uh, an artist nobody never heard of. And it's so hard to break a new artist. And I, I'll never forget, just foolish in that moment, how big that was and how big her album was. Did you have any idea that she was going to blow like that? In all honesty, I had a great feeling with Foolish. I thought the record was great. But in all honesty, that record took off like I've never had a record take off like that. But when you sit there and think about it, she had What's Love and she had fucking Always On Time, two number ones. And here she comes with Foolish. That record went from zero to like 10,000 spins in like a week or so. It's like yeah. everyone everyone got the record and threw it in heavy rotation or power rotation out the gate. Yeah. Like yeah. They, it wasn't no, I'm going to test it. See, who we'll said wait for research. It was, yo, uh-huh. play this 60 times a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's we're still playing it today. So like here we are 20 years later. I just had a, I just had a music research test for uh, Indianapolis today. And there goes yeah. Foolish coming coming in and out of 800 songs. It comes in in the, in, in the top 20 of 800 songs, Irv. And still, it's 20 something years later. How crazy is that? Still. Yeah. You know what? People people tell me uh, my music, you know, the, the, the streamers, they like Irv. You're like on everyone's playlist. Your music is on, like when people make their own personal playlist, like it equates to money because my catalog really does well. Yeah. 20 some odd years later. But when you think about it, if someone's at a barbecue and they got a playlist, you're going to hear two, three murder rate records, if not more. They, they told me, they was like, your records is on everyone's playlist that they make. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Irv, you you know, obviously go through your stuff with the, with the government and all that, and you came out on top. And then you decided to, like, a few years later to really get into, like, movies and entertainment and television. And I thought it was a brilliant idea, the show you, you have where you take a hip-hop song and you got Tales. me on. I got a story to tell. when I That was the first episode that I had saw. But I was like, yeah. first of all, I got a story to tell. It's such an iconic song, right? So it's like... Yeah. With a so, dope story. With a story. So talk a little bit about just doing that. Like, what? where did that come about to just... So so the first company that I told you was Def Jam with Russell. The other company that had a big part in me wanting what I wanted to do was DreamWorks. I love DreamWorks with Geffen Spielberg and Katzenberg. That was like the ultimate entertainment company, TV, film, and music. So Visionary Ideas is the company that does tales. That's my old to... DreamWorks. So I had tales like five years before everyone seen it. I was plotting to do exactly what I'm doing. Exactly what I'm doing. I wanted to do TV. I wanted to do films. I want to continue to do music and conquer all three levels of entertainment business. So talk to us a little bit about some of these movies because you just signed a massive deal with a lot of big zeros next to it. 
And now you're able to just make creative pro any kind of creative project that you want to make. And you've been working on movies. So talk to us, talk to us a little bit about yeah, the first well, first of all, the deal was I sold my masters, got like a hundred, but the people who I sold it to, when I told them why I sold my masters, which was to finance my own TV and film, they gave me a two hundred million line of credit. So it was a three hundred million dollar deal. So the first thing I did was pay for my own movie, Tales Presents, We Made It in America. And that's probably going to come in like January, February 2023. I wrote it. I directed it. I produced it. I funded it. And it's a dope hip-hop movie. You know Is what I'm saying? Is it based like, on the Jay-Z, uh, Kanye song? Absolutely. Okay. All we right. We made it in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. really, really, it's kind of the story of like Jay-Z, quality control, easy, and showing guys who hustling and taking the money that they made from hustling and putting it into the record in the music business and winning. So that's the storyline. And it's a, it's a dope movie, y'all. It's a dope movie. I think everyone, the hip-hop culture is going to love it. The music in it is is amazing. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have a soundtrack for the music. I got Fabio Foreign, who's not only gaming music, but stars in the joint. He's one of the characters in it. I got my man CJ that gave me, the whoopty nigga that gave me some records that's fucking amazing. Then I got Jazz Laser. He's my new artist. Ricky, she's my new artist. And the shit is dope. Talk to us about some of the other projects that you plan on doing because now it's it's one thing that happens. Oh, it's a Did lot, you? yo. It's a lot. Like, I'm I'm breaking tales off. I'm going to do Quintos, which is Tales Latin. going to try and get all of them big Latin stars and do tales with them. Excite the Latin community. And then I got people like Brian Barber, who's giving me films that... because. I don't have to just do the films. I can finance them. So people are coming to, up to me and I'm reading scripts. And, you know, I want to put out like anywhere from two to four movies a year just with me. You know what I'm saying? TV series, just that's all mine. Got some shit that I'm working on with Mark Wahlberg called The Click, which is like Entourage, but with a rapper. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's going to be amazing. And, you know, just working, Kobe. Just working. I didn't get that money to retire, although I could have. It's so much I could retire. But, you know, I'm going to get to work with it. Yeah, something tells me that Irv wants to get that Oscar. Yeah. Well, you know what? I ain't really an awards kind of nigga. I want to get the love from the people and for the people to enjoy my shit more than an Oscar, more than a Grammy. I've always been a guy that I want the people to love my shit. You know what I'm saying? And if the Oscar comes with it, great. But most importantly is when I'm walking and people go, yo, I love that movie. I I, I want that more than the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. So let, let, before we go, man, talk to us a little bit about music today because you said you still have some artists. You are, were a part of such an epic time in music for hip-hop. Really, the, the latter 90s and early 2000s were tremendous growth for the, for the uh, industry. What do you think about the music today and what what are you going to bring with your touch that you're going to put on some of the artists that you said that you're working with? I'm not mad at the new artists of today. I'm not like one of the older guys that hate on the younger guys or they ain't got, they doing their thing. What I'd like to say with the younger guys is that it's hard for them. They coming behind Tupac, Jay, Biggie. These niggas was incredible. So I, I applaud the fact that they fucking uh, make a, different sounding hit records and thing. Hip hop is at its height on their watch with, you know, the streams and everything like that. But like with my artists, 
I like to give a new taste, but then I also want to make great music like we was making great music. I'm a believer in great music. So like when you say, oh, Shanti 20 years later came in at number 20, that's because it was great music. So I'm going to I'm going to make great music, but I have no problem with the young generation and what they're doing either. I think they're being very creative and in, in doing what they do. You know what I'm saying? We can't be the old old head generations and just shun them. They're doing what they want and what's inspiring them. And I applaud them. Well, also this generation, because of your generation, makes an obscene amount more money now than, than you could have ever yeah, imagined. When that streaming is a motherfucker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That money, that money is coming in. So yeah, I'm not mad. Like I'm not mad. Keep doing it. Keep doing what y'all doing. And I'm gonna try and see where I can fit in with what I want to do. Do you find some of the moguls, the current day moguls, have they kind of reached out to you for counsel over, over the course of their building some of these uh these these new labels that are out there right now? Nah, not really. They on their own vibe. You know some. A few of them will call me, pick my brain, and you know we have some conversations. But for the most part, is they 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 doing what they doing. You know this generation is doing what they doing, and I applaud them. And I'm like, keep doing it. Yeah. Well, listen, mm-hmm. Irv, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Only for again. you, Cole. I know, Cole. Only for you, man. I know. I, I know. I know. We we go back many you're years. One of, but... You're one of the guys in the game. I can't say no to. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, you've been you've been supporting and rocking with me for damn near 25, 30 years. You want me to come talk on the podcast? How am I saying no? That's what I'm like, Cole, only for you, because I'm doing shit right now, but I'm making time for you. No, I appreciate <laughs> that. But also people just need to know, like, I think and I was glad that you did that documentary on BET because and I kept texting you throughout it because I mean, I knew you and I experienced a lot of those yeah. things. But then I didn't realize, like, you know. You, there was so much that, that you yeah. were going through in that moment. Like it, that really shit could have, could just collapsed you, man. It was so many things that were happening. So I'm not fast. supposed to be here. Yo. Listen, I'm not yeah. supposed to be here talking to you still. I'm yeah. not. So, yeah. so the redemption side of the story is really, really huge to have the feds have the hottest rapper bombing on you. That's like, who comes back from that? And I did. And, and we did. So, I, I like the doc. I, I, I really enjoy doing it. And I really enjoy the response everyone has given me after watching it. Well, and I think the point I want to make about it and just from knowing you is that you really put in that work. And I think for younger people that are aspiring <laughs> to do whatever they want to do, like if you put that work in and you are relentless, you can achieve anything, but it's not easy. And, and, and I can say Irv Gotti's journey was not easy. You, you, you went through a lot of shit and somehow you made it and you also generated millions of dollars for people and didn't see a dime, but then ended up, yes. you know, getting yours on the, yes. the back end. It all I mean, worked that, out. It worked yes, out. Yeah. It all worked out. Yeah. It all worked out. Well, listen, man, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you jumping on the Backstory Podcast. And I just, I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> these man. projects and seeing the music and all my the other man. stuff you got coming. My man, Kobe, my man, fam. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast producer and legendary hip-hop artist Kwame. Only You was originally written for Vanessa Williams. I wanted to produce and write for my old lady crush, Vanessa Williams. And um, there was supposedly a slot on the album to have some more like hip-hop type things. And I wanted to put myself on the record as a featured artist. So I did this song 
And and the funny thing is, a lot of people don't know Pam from Martin, Tashina Arnold. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tashina Arnold's little sister, Zanae, was a very good friend of mine in high school, and she sang all the Only You parts. The Backstory Podcast with Colby Kolb is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Colby Kolb, edited by Donkis. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC, on Instagram, Get the Backstory. Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed. For sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.